This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas and educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Today, we look at sexuality education. In some countries, scholars who advocate for a secular worldview have constructed a progressive sexuality education that embraces science at the exclusion of religion. And so, like, there's an assumption that Australia, for instance, is a secular society and has a proud secular tradition. And I think that once you've had, um, like, scratched the surface of what secularism is, you get, I think, a more nuanced understanding of, like, how secularism can easily become a coded way of thinking that can be very exclusionary and can fail to reflect different sets of perspectives around especially issues like gender and sexuality. With me is Mary Lou Rasmussen. In her monograph, Progressive Sexuality Education, The Conceits of Secularism, which was just released in paperback, Mary Lou carefully explores how progressive scholarship and practice might get in the way of meaningful conversations with students, teachers, and peers who think differently about the field of sexuality education. And sometimes I think that um, religious schools can have a, um, a more interesting approach to sexuality education because it's not only based in like scientific um, rationales, but also explicitly bringing in conversations about morality and ethics which to my mind are crucial in thinking about how we understand sexuality in the lives of young people and anybody, really. Mary Lou Rasmussen is a professor at the School of Sociology at the Australian National University. She is co-editor with Louisa Allen of The Handbook of Sexuality, which will be published in October. Mary Lou Rasmussen, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thank you very much for having me on. It's, I think... Um, this is a great program and I'm very happy to be part of it. So thanks for inviting me. No, oh, well, thank you for joining. So what makes sexuality education progressive? I think that there's several things that are associated with the idea that a form of sexuality education is understood as progressive. And that might be that it's underpinned by um, rigorous scientific research that the approach um, has an absence of religion and um, is based on good science and rationality, reason, that it um, needs to promote sexual autonomy in young people so they uh, have the capacity to act as autonomous sexual subjects and that it is um, able to promote um, tolerance as well and um, cultural inclusion based on sexual and gender diversity. And sometimes I think that this can mean that sexuality education, which has a religious component, is not seen as progressive. So this would obviously make it fraught being used around the world, I mean, with, with religion being so dominant in so many places. Yeah, I think that it's interesting to think about what how progressive sexuality education might take root in religious contexts, given some of the un- assumptions that underpin it. And I think that there are lots of places um, that I would classify as religious that do progressive sexuality education. So I'm not trying to say that that's a binary, but I think sometimes it might get constructed as such. So, so how does it take root? Well, I think that um, there is a sense that 
sexuality education should be rigorous and that the kind of arguments made, especially in quite conservative contexts, to um, argue for the benefits of sexuality education, regardless of whether you're in a society that like, might be constituted as more religious or more secular, are often scientific. So the reason that we need it is to um, make sure that we reduce um, the HIV infection rates, for instance. And so that's a good reason to have sexuality education regardless of the social context. And so how do we best do that? We do that through a rigorous scientific approach. And I think that that argument can have weight in lots of different social contexts. Right, so science in a way becomes the new religion. That's right, that's right. And I think that um, I think that tolerance around gender diversity in the sense that we might think about gender equity also has quite a bit of weight in sexuality education provision and a sense of like the empowerment of young women. So gender diversity I'm talking about there is quite different to maybe thinking about um, what people might call gender fluidity. But um, there, so there's, I think, a lot of resistance to sexuality education that, and that's true in the Australian context, especially at the moment, um, that enables us to talk about young people who are gender transitioning, for instance, versus the empowerment of um, young women through sexual autonomy that is provided by giving them information about um, how they might manage their fertility. So I would imagine that when sexuality education is taught in public schools, the issue of of religion really becomes... um, well, it could become very problematic in, in countries that try and separate um, the state from religion. Yeah, I think... Um, I mean, one of the things that's been interesting to me in researching the topic is how I think that sexuality education can be married in movements to arguments for a more secular schooling system. So like the reason that we need secular schooling is because of sexuality education. Because we can't teach good sexuality education without secularism. And um, so that's an interesting, I think, um, political strategy that gets operationalized um, in in regards to sexuality education debates. I think that, um, but that said, I think that there's some interesting sexuality education that's happening in religious contexts. And sometimes I think that um, religious schools can have a, um, a more interesting approach to sexuality education because it's not only based in like scientific um, rationales, but also explicitly bringing in conversations about morality and ethics, which to my mind are crucial in thinking about how we understand sexuality in the lives of young people and anybody really. Which isn't to say that I necessarily agree with everything that happens within a religious approach, but I do think that morality and ethics need to be a part of conversations in sexuality education and to pretend that they're not is quite difficult. In your research, did you come across like a quintessential example of of, uh, something that's taught in sexuality education from a religious perspective that includes these moralities and ethics that you're talking about that is absent 
when you looked at some of the progressive sexuality education? There is a, um, a research um, curriculum, like a, there's a sexuality, sexuality education curriculum that was um, developed in the United States. And the United States, I think, is often seen as a place where sexuality education is maybe not held up as being, um, you know, having a great tradition <laughs> because it's been very controversial. But I think that there's also some um, interesting things happen happening in the US because like sexuality education provision is very diverse because, you know, as I'm sure you know, well, there's a lot of um, different systems in the US delivering sexuality education and it, um, it isn't uniform at all how provision is imagined in that space. And the um, person who was the leader of SECUS, which is kind of like the um, biggest secular lobby group for sexuality education provision in the US um, is a reverend and she um, left SECUS and developed a um, curriculum that was for faith-based schools. And I think that um, her curriculum is a really interesting example of um, how you might think about the incorporation of um, sexuality education in a way that um, takes account of um, people's beliefs and values. Another person who I think has done some quite interesting work in this area is Sharon Lamb, who's really thought a lot about the place of morality and ethics in sexuality education, and she's developed curriculum in that space as well, and she's also US-based. And that, so there are, I think, um, two examples that I can think of that are trying to um, explicitly bring values in. And another person in the UK context who has written, I think, about this in some interesting ways um, is Michael Rice um, from the Institute of Education in London, and he's written um, a book about values in sexuality education. So let's look, I mean, in your book, you, you um, basically do a comparison of, of different countries. Um, so I want to kind of hear a little bit about each country to, to see their relationship between secularism and sexuality education as it plays out in these different contexts. So maybe we'll start in, in the country where you're, you're currently living, in, in Australia. So I think that um, it's interesting to think about how sexuality education is um, imagined in these different contexts. And like Victoria, which is where I'm from in um, Australia, but no longer where I live now, um, it's kind of, like, I think, held up as one of the places that has like a cutting-edge um, sexuality pr um, program internationally. And certainly in Australia, it's also held up as having a, um, a very um, progressive um, sexuality education program. And um, in Victoria, there's been um, curriculum that have been developed that take people through sexuality education um, and has like ways of imagining it from kindergarten through to um, year 12. So there's a very comprehensive curriculum. That being said, it, it often isn't implemented in schools, but it exists on paper. And that's a really important distinction to make as well, because often sexuality education will happen in writing, but not in practice, because it's one of those things that very quickly gets pushed out of um, curriculum because it is um, not going to get you a good grade necessarily. But getting back to the Australian context and Victoria, 
So it um, is looking at, it's examining assumptions and community attitudes and stereotypes about young people and sexuality, which I think is a, quite an important component. It's also identifying support strategies for young people experiencing difficulties in relationships or with their sexuality, which again, I think is something that marks Victoria out as being quite a progressive program. And it's also um, asked schools to review policies and practices related to sexual harassment, homophobia and discrimination. Again, that's something I think which distinguishes the Victorian context, maybe from other Australian states and also internationally. Um, so yeah, that's, I think, the Victorian context. The Australian um, context more broadly, I think, is um, l less explicit. So in the Australian curriculum, um, there's um, an impulse or um, there's a critical examination of socio-cultural and personal factors which influence sexuality, gender identity, sexual attitudes and behaviour, but the explicit mentioning of like gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgender, intersex relationships is much more muted in the national curriculum than it is in the um, Victorian curriculum where there's kind of more specific resources. So the, and, and respectful relationships is a large feature of the national curriculum, which is really trying to teach about um, sex and consent, which is another like um, major push in sexuality education that's going on within Australia and internationally. And I think, you know, an important initiative, but also one that tends to um, put a lot of weight on young people to be responsible and respectful rather than thinking about how social context might be implicated in the production of um, unequal sexual relationships. And in the Australian context, um, do belief and faith and you know religious values, do they appear in, in some of the curricula? Not at all. Not in the... Um, curriculum documents as they're used in public schools, but they can be adapted for use in religious schools and have um, a religious component in those schools. But the, um, and interestingly, um, in Australia, there's a um, Edmund Rice Catholic schools, which are kind of um, 50 very progressive, I'm using that word in quotes, um, Catholic schools um, in the Australian context and they have adopted um, a program called the Safe Schools Program for use in Catholic schools. And that was an incredibly controversial program that received a lot of critique um, from um, conservative governments around Australia and federally and was defunded. But Catholic schools have taken the program up. Um, not all of them, just the, this particular group of Catholic schools, which were kind of um, very elite Catholic schools and also known to be very progressive. So um, I think that that just shows like how the lines aren't really clear about how these things get taken up. Right. So some some public schools may take up more, well, faith, religious value aspects of sexuality education, and some religious schools may take up more progressive education as well. So it's, it's, it's a mixed bag. It's a much more gray area than a clear line, like you said. Yeah, I haven't actually seen any public schools adopting religious issues at all, <laughs> but I have seen Catholic schools really thinking about um, how they might become more expansive, which is interesting. I think the idea that, like, I think that state schools might 
actually benefit from having some conversations about um, the relationship between religion and sexuality, but um, in my, I haven't seen that um, operationalized in um, public schools. So why is it that some of these, um, as you said, elite kind of Catholic schools are taking up some of this sexuality, progressive sexuality curricula? I think that um, maybe some of it comes from advocacy among their own students. I think a lot of the students that are attending these schools are demanding that they become more inclusive. I've seen some um, recent research about um, you know young people saying that it's really not okay if Catholic schools are not um, reaching out to students who might identify as gay or lesbian or trans or bisexual and how can, and and the students are saying look what are you it's not an, it's not good enough to say that um, you know um, we'll love the sinner and hate the sin we need more from you and I imagine that the students at the more elite schools are very articulate and very good at um, trying to rally for these sorts of um, more expansive curricula. And I think that there's probably also teachers at many of these schools that would like that. And let's also remember that there's probably um, gay, lesbian, bisexual and trans teachers at these schools as well, even though um, the letter of the law says they shouldn't be there, um, according to the Catholic tradition. I think that definitely they are teaching within Catholic systems. I, I think it's very interesting that there is, you know, this this curriculum uh, that is developed for public schools that's progressive, uh, but then it doesn't get taken up in those public schools. You said many of them just sit on the shelf. They're written but not implemented. Yeah. But then there's a group of Catholic schools that is taking parts of that curriculum and implementing it. Yeah, it is. It's a. It's quite. Um, and I think that also that there's something about being an elite school that allows more room for that sort of expansion. Whereas, you know, a public school is really, um, I think, um, more vulnerable often um, in terms of its cultural capital. Like if you um, look at the campaign for marriage equality at the moment that's happening in the Australian context, one of the schools that's been um, highly targeted as part of that campaign is a... Um, a public school in a in the urban fringe in Victoria, and um, they've quite so, kind of become um, one of the schools that's at the centre of the um, political firestorm in the marriage equality debate, uh, um, because of a very articulate parent that is making arguments about what happened to her son in terms of education at that school associated with the Safe Schools program I discussed earlier, and while the school. Um, completely disputes the parents' account. Like, I think that, that in the optics of the debate that that school is a, um, you know, incredibly vulnerable because of its position within the education system more broadly. Hmm. So let's take a comparative case to Australia. Maybe you also looked at Ireland, which, which obviously has a very strong religious um, component to the country, to the, to the culture. So what goes on with um, you know, the relationship between secularism and sexuality education in Ireland? One of the reasons that I wanted to look at Ireland is because I think that there's a sense, like something like 90% of schools in Ireland are within the Catholic system. So there's a huge uh, um, amount of students that are attending schools that are nominally part of the Catholic system. 
But there's a huge pressure, especially after um, Ireland voted for marriage equality for you know, um, schooling to become more inclusive. And, um, I was, and I think that there's kind of a sense that um, because the Irish context is so dominated by Catholicism, that that naturally means that the sexuality education provision there is going to be much more conservative than a state that um, has a more secular education system like Australia or um, you know, parts of Canada, for instance. So I was really interested in thinking about, well, is it... Like, if you look at the curriculum side by side, is what's happening in the Irish context really quite distinct from what's happening in somewhere that might be seen more secular like the Australian context? And when I lined the curriculum up, again, like this is just looking at the curriculum, not how it's enacted in schools. I didn't have the resources to do that as part of the writing of the book. But there's actually um, a lot of overlap, I think, in the um, provision of curriculum in the Irish system and the Australian system at the national level. Um, so, like the, um, for instance, in the Irish system, um, the provision of sexuality, um, it, it's called relationships and sexuality education in Ireland, and part of that is demonstrating how to relate respectfully to others of a different sexual orientation that's specified as part of the Irish curriculum, and clarify understanding of and um, comfort with different sexual orientations as specified as part of their curriculum. So, in some ways, you might argue that. Um, you know, if, if we're using particular barometers of what it means to be progressive, which I understand obviously are quite problematic, um, the Irish system is, um, might be constituted as quite progressive in a place that's dominated by Catholicism in terms of education provision. Hmm, very interesting to see how that, the religion and the progressive education can blend together. There's not really, um, I suppose like one of my um, aims in the um, writing the book was really to show how those lines so often get blurred and also like how our reading of a system I think can often be based on our expectations of what will happen because um, a state is Catholic as opposed to what's actually happening in the curriculum itself. So there's kind of um, presumptions about um, Catholic systems versus state-based systems and like what the content will be. And I think that um, while often, um, you know, you can make generalizations, there's also, I think, lots of um, exceptions. And it's interesting to look at those exceptions and to think about like how they might guide us in like what's possible in terms of um, thinking about different forms of provision in sexuality education. One, I wanna to turn to some of the students because it seems you know, I mean, the, the, the curriculum is one thing, but it, what's interesting to me is that in the Australian case, you were saying that um, some of the students you think in these elite Catholic schools were maybe the drivers um, to incorporate a progressive sexuality education curricula inside this Catholic school. So how have students responded in these different contexts that you've looked at? I did research in public schools in Australia um, a few years ago now. Um, one of the things that I found both... For, um, I interviewed um, students who were receiving sexuality education in years 9 and 10. And I um, interviewed students who were at a school that was um, in a very progressive part of Melbourne quite deliberately. Um, you know, they were, and, and these students were, um, it just happened to turn out that they were the gifted and talented group 
at the school where I went. So they were incredibly articulate students who had, um, often they had parents who were um, academics or um, involved in, um, that they might be um, doctors. One of them was actually um, a sexual health provider. So it was interesting like talking to this young group of people about what they thought should happen in sexuality education and these young people that I talked to, at least in Melbourne, were quite adamant with me that sexuality education should be, not include any morals, that you could discuss morals to do with, um, for example, something like, um, it should be secular, so you shouldn't be confusing the students by talking about morality and ethics as part of sexuality education, it needed to be scientific in its provision. You could kind of discuss issues to do with morals and ethics in English, but not in sexuality education, that that really just needed to be informed by science. So I thought that was interesting in the sense that like that idea of secular provision like was really um, at the forefront of the minds of these young people in like what good sexuality education looked like and um, and where had they um, got that understanding from is interesting as a question to me. Like it, it kind of, I think, suggests that that idea of um, good sexuality education provision is secular as something that is kind of a part of the fabric of a lot of parts of Australian society, especially, and like, you know, and as Australian society um, becomes increasingly non-religious, like we've got um, a growing percentage of young people, especially who identify as um, what um, sociologists of religion call nuns, which is um, people who identify as having no religion um, and how that's influencing like what people's expectations about sexuality education provision might be. I mean, where do, where do some of these Australian youth get these ideas of secularism as being so, well, well, I don't know how to say it, so guiding in their thinking? I think that for the young people that I spoke to, I think that part of it, like as I said, like they're part of a group of students at the school who are um, classified as gifted and talented. So they're in like a, a stream of um, elite students within a school that's already quite elite. And I think that the curriculum kind of sets up a structure to some extent where, you know, students who are good at science are elite students. So there's kind of like, um, I think, measures in the curriculum and in what's rewarded in terms of um, you know the hierarchy of subjects about what constitutes like um, rigorous knowledge so I think that that is part of where this might come from but I think that there's kind of like I often see um, arguments both in the popular media and in sites like The Conversation which is a um, online resource that um, tries to disseminate academic findings at a more um, um, to a wide audience that like assumptions about secularism and its value are often coded or explicit in those sorts of arenas and so like there's an assumption that Australia for instance is a secular society and has a proud secular tradition and I think that um, once you've had um, like scratch the surface of what secularism is you get I think a more nuanced understanding of like how secularism can easily become a um, a coded way of thinking that can be very exclusionary and can um, 
I think, fail to reflect the diversity like internationally and also within the Australian context around um, different sets of perspectives around especially issues like gender and sexuality. So in, in the, the, you know, trying to be tolerant and culturally inclusive, it, it actually can be uh, exclusionary. I think so. I think that it can um, be hard to work out like what the way, like it, how we can have conversations about um, issues like gender and sexual diversity or even something like gender equity in a way that says, well, let's think about um, the place of belief and the place of tradition in trying to understand um, who is in the classroom and how I might incorporate them and understand them as part of like my understanding of what sexuality education is and how it's lived. My concern, I think, is that young people who are from um, who are new immigrants to Australia or who come from um, who are quite religious themselves or who come from religious contexts might have a sense that um, they don't really need to engage in sexuality education um, at school because it's just really irrelevant to them. It isn't, you know, reflecting anything about their lives. And I kind of think that we need to have sexuality education provision that, that isn't just preaching to the converted, but trying to um, have a sense of a wider church. And like one of the things that I love about the um, Safe Schools program and the people that have designed it um, is that it they were absolutely adamant that they would go into religious schools and um, engage with those schools around um, provision of the program. And they had a lot of support well, not um, maybe a lot is overstating it, but they certainly had support from religious schools in the provision of the Safe Schools program, and I think that like, I think that's the sort of attitude that we need to be adopting. Right, like being welcoming to different faith and beliefs and religious values and and how they can intersect with sexuality education. Yeah, which means I think that there has to be forms of accommodation on both sides, and a recognition that like there probably isn't one like universal sexuality education system that's going to suit everybody in the Australian context but also that um, if we say that like it's my way or the highway then I think that you don't necessarily get that far in terms of um, you know how you might incorporate different sorts of experiences. Well Mary Lou Rasmussen thank you so much for joining Fresh Out it was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for having me it was um good to be able to talk about um, the book and share the insights with um, a wider audience, I hope. Mary Lou Rasmussen is a professor at the School of Sociology at the Australian National University. She is co-editor with Louisa Allen of the Handbook of Sexuality Education, which will be published in October. And her monograph, Progressive Sexuality Education, has just been released in paperback. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes. It really does help. Fresh Ed is made possible through listener donations. Please consider becoming a member of Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com support. Fresh Ed's producers are Sherry Yang, Yuval Devere, and Hong Zhong. Aggie Hu is Fresh Ed's social media coordinator. 
and original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll see you next week.